Acts chapter 22. A few years ago, I gave this same illustration. We were going through the Gospel of Mark, but I think it's appropriate for what we're going to look at tonight. So I'll, I'll do it again. You can spare me if you've heard it before. In the 1980s, there was a faith healer uh, that became very, very popular in the United States. He went around the country, including our city, uh, the city of Detroit, drawing in thousands of people and raking in $4.2 million per year in, uh, as a result of his ministry. He's a very unique man when it came to faith healers, as far as they go. His name was Peter Popoff, if you remember him. He didn't use cue cards like most faith healers would do. He knew everyone by name somehow. He knew their address. He knew close relatives. And, of course, he knew what kind of sickness they had. He claimed to have this gift of knowledge that he could hear from God himself. Well, as you can imagine, there were some skeptics to uh, this man's ministry. One of the skeptics was a man, um, an investigator by the name of James Randy. He discovered the the secret of Peter Popoff, how he was able to do what he did, and he exposed him. Peter was in the business, of, or James, I should say, was in the business of exposing psychics and faith healers, and so he began attending some of Popoff's events and wanted to see what it was that allowed him to to have so much knowledge about these people. Certainly, he couldn't have been hearing directly from God. One thing that he noticed, uh, James Randy, that is, that he noticed was that Popoff wore a hearing aid. Now, why in the world would a faith healer need a hearing aid? Uh, James was not too sure about that. So he determined that it had to be some sort of uh, listening device where he was receiving a wireless feed. And so he employed the surveillance um, expertise of a man by the name of Alec Jason, who had extensive experience in in uh, cracking some of these things. And so Alec visited the site of Popoff's next show, but he arrived one day early so he could set up some uh, scanning devices in order to intercept some of these wireless transmissions. He left the auditorium for a few hours during rehearsal and discovered as he's listening in on to, to their rehearsal, that Popoff was not hearing the voice of God at all, but rather the voice of a woman, which sounded a lot like Popoff's wife. And uh, she and a whole team of people were getting information from the prayer cards that people would fill out when they would come into the event, and she would read those off to her husband over this wireless signal. Alec, this ex- expert in, um, in this electronic transmission, Um, began recording these transmissions and several of the subsequent live shows. And um, these things were being broadcast over the country, but he was actually recording the transmission that would come over the wireless signal. And he, uh, we have a transcript that that remains from one of the events. His wife would say, Okay, way over to the other side of the other balcony is Josephine Perino. Run all the way over there. On the right side right now. Josephine Perino. Josephine Perino. Popoff asked the, the assembled worshipers, Who is Josephine? Who is Josephine Perino, he would say. Joseph 
Josephine Perino, please identify yourself. And then Elizabeth would say to him over the wireless signal, she's got cancer of the stomach. So he would go through his little uh, charade there with her and supposedly heal her of her cancer. And, of course, with stomach cancer or something like that, you can't really tell that it's gone. So he can basically claim that it is gone and she can have this placebo type of effect and, uh, and think that it actually is. Well, they began sending in actors in order to play the part of sick people in order to catch him in the act, trying to get Pop off the bite. One of the, man, one of the men who they uh, employed was a man by the name of Don Henvick, and he was an exceptional actor. In fact, he was able to actually present himself before Popoff on a few different occasions. One time, he was healed of a broken home and alcoholism. That was in San Francisco. And then in Anaheim, he uh, shaved his head and beard and was healed of a serious arthritic condition. And so because such a, he was such a good actor, James Brandy decided to send him to get healed for a disease that he possibly could not have, that he could not possibly have, and that was uterine cancer because... In order to be healed of uterine cancer, you have to have a uterus. Well, the setup worked just like they planned. He went to a thrift store, got a dress, a wig, and so on. And for an added touch, he even got a wheelchair. And Popoff took the bait at the next event. And he came to him and said, Bernice Manikoff, let the Holy Spirit burn the uterine cancer from your body. And if that weren't enough, Popoff commanded him, her, to rise up out of the wheelchair. But Elizabeth was closely watching on. This is uh, Popoff's wife. And she recognized him from previous, a previous show. And the transmission that was recorded by Alec Jason, Jason was this. That's not Bernice. That's a man. He's the one from Anaheim. Drop him fast. Well, Jason, uh, uh, James Randy and Alec Jason felt like they had enough evidence. So they went public with their information on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And after an initial uproar against the ministries, you can imagine how much money had been poured in and people who felt duped by this whole thing. Popoff finally admitted his guilt saying that he was not hearing a voice from God, but rather from his wife, and shortly after that filed for bankruptcy. You know, when it comes to miracle workers, as humans, we tend to be skeptical by nature. That can't possibly be happening, and rightfully so, because we have been duped so many times before. We've seen lots of people who call themselves faith healers, and we've... we've, They've turned out to be frauds. And so anytime we hear of any miracle that takes place, whether in our day or in the past, we automatically dismiss it. We are by nature skeptical of these things because we've seen them to be frauds before. And so skeptically, we come to miracles that are, that are even recorded in the Bible uh, and I'm not just saying, uh, you know, our church. I'm talking about people in general are skeptical by nature of the miracles that are recorded in the Bible. Like, for example, Jesus, who claims to be the Messiah. 
And we quickly dismiss him. He can't be the Messiah. He was a man. And a Jewish man named Saul had that same skepticism that we have for a person like Peter Popoff. And for Saul, it meant that he would flat out reject Jesus as the Messiah. Saul knew about who the Messiah was supposed to be. He knew that he was promised in the Old Testament and what he was supposed to do, that he was supposed to come and teach and perform miracles. Saul knew all that. But that wasn't enough. Because based on the Old Testament Scripture that, Paul, that Saul knew very well, Messiahs don't just perform miracles. They also rule and reign and win. Saul didn't see that in Jesus of Nazareth. He didn't see a man who ruled and reigned and, win, and won, did he? Until he met him on the road to Damascus. Look at Acts chapter 8, or I'm sorry, Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22, verse 3. I'm going to read down to verse 11. Acts 22, verse 3. This is the Word of God. Paul's recounting his, his uh, salvation experience here to the, uh, the Jews who are trying to kill him. Verse 3 reads, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons, as also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify. From them, I also received letters to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. But it happened that as I was on my way, approaching Damascus about noontime, a very bright light suddenly flashed from heaven all around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus the Nazarene whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me saw the light, to be sure, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Get up and go into Damascus, and there you will be told of all that has been appointed for you to do. But since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. Saul, Saul here is a very uh, unique individual as far as Jews go. Saul was at uh, the pinnacle of what a Jew ought to be. In Philippians three, he says, "I was circumcised the eighth day. I was of the nation of the tribe. Of, uh, I was the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. If you want to see a Hebrew, look at me. I was of the elite. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to the to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. This was a good thing. And as to the righteousness which is in the law, I was found blameless. You wanted to find, you want to find a good, upstanding Jew as far as Jews go. I was it. So Paul stands before these Jews at the height of the the stairs, going into the barracks, and he's looking down over this mob who wants to kill him. This 
mob of Jews and he speaks to them and tells them about his conversion experience. And he begins with his standing as a Jew. I was born a Jew. That's what he says in verse 3. And then he goes on to say, I was raised as a Jew. I was brought up in Jerusalem. And I was educated as a Jew. That's what he says at the end of verse 3. Educated under Gamaliel. You, you all know Gamaliel. He's one of the lead, uh, the lead Jewish rabbis, and I was under him. And if you wanted to, to see what an upstanding Jew would look like, you just have to look at verses 4 and 5. That was me. I persecuted the way, the Christian way, the Christianity. I persecuted it to the death. And even the high priest, Ananias, and all the council and all the elders, they can testify to how serious I was against this way. But I was on my way to Damascus. In fact, as I was going, I was intending to get some more Christians to bring them back to Jerusalem to be punished. In another place, he says that he was intending to see them killed, put them to the death. So I was just like you are. I was an elite Jew, but that's when the, the, the conversation changes in verse 6. It changes from this is how I was to this is what God had planned for me. And there was something that changed in, Paul, in Saul's mind that compelled him to come to Christ. And that's what we want to focus on tonight. Here in verses 6-11, through 11, he recounts his conversion experience. He says, I was on, in verse 6, that I was on my way to Damascus around noontime when the sun was at its brightest. And at that time, the glory of the Lord came upon me. Other people saw the light. Other people heard the noise, but they couldn't understand and they couldn't see Christ like I could. But clearly, what I saw was the risen Christ. The reason I know that is because of verses... Uh, 7 through 9. Verse 7, I fell to the ground after this bright light came upon me, and I heard a voice saying to me, and then Jesus speaks to him, verse 8, and I answered, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord answers, I am Jesus, the Nazarene. Paul has a convert, I'm sorry, Saul at this time, has a conversation with the risen Lord. Now, prior to this event in Paul's life, he was like we are with faith healers. He was skeptical. He had no respect for Jesus of Nazareth because Jesus came across as not, not as a Messiah, not as a strong man, but as a weak man. I mean, what kind of Messiah is he? What kind of ruler is he? Messiahs don't lose. Messiahs definitely don't die. Messiahs fight. Messiahs win. Messiahs live. And Messiahs reign. And that's not who Saul had seen in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. You see, the fact that Jesus had died was not proof that He was God to Saul. The fact that He died was proof that He was just another fraud. Because Messiahs don't get crucified. They overcome their oppressors. They defeat their enemies. Turn to Zechariah chapter 9 with me. Zechariah 
chapter 9, second to last book in the Old Testament. When the Jews thought of their Messiah, yes, He had to be born a Jew. Jesus was. Yes, He had to be born in the line of David. Jesus was. Yes, He had to enter Jerusalem on a donkey. Jesus did. But what you're going to see here is there's something else that they were expecting about Jesus. See if you can find it. You're going to see this this, um, prophecy that the Messiah will come riding on the donkey into the city, but He has to do something else. See if you can find it. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Okay, so so far... Jesus would have fulfilled this, right? He came into the city riding on a donkey. Maybe even Saul knew about that. But let's continue reading and see what else they would expect of the Messiah. Verse 10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and the bow of war will be cut off and he will speak peace to the nations and his dominion, this king, will be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus did not fulfill verse 10, did He? His dominion was not from sea to sea. He didn't rule from one end of the earth to the other, did He? No, He died. There was no throne where He was set up as ruler of this worldwide empire. So here's what Saul and the rest of the Jews are expecting. Yes, he has to be born a Jew. Yes, he has to you know, be, be raised a Jew and, and has to enter Jerusalem on a donkey. He's done all that, but, but he's missed this very important point. He has to reign. He has to rule. And Jesus, in Saul's eyes, had not done that. Now, what scholars during Saul's day didn't understand was that Zechariah 9 was a prophecy of the Messiah's coming. Yes. In fact, when Jesus actually does come into the city riding on a donkey, the the Gospel writers point back to this specific verse, that He will come endowed with salvation, riding on the donkey, even a foal of a donkey. What the, the prophets didn't know, what the scholars didn't know, was that verse 10 was actually a separate prophecy. Verse 9 refers to, we now know on this side of the cross, that verse 9 refers to His which coming? His first coming. And verse 10 refers to which coming? His second coming. When all of those things will be true. He will defeat His enemies. He will have His dominion from sea to sea. From one end of the earth to the other. talk of Jesus during Saul's day was beginning to spread that he was supposedly this Messiah. And Saul would not, as a good Jew, allow this to continue 
another false messiah. There had been several more, several others before Jesus, I hope you recognize. Jesus was not the first one who claimed to be a messiah. From the time of Malachi, there were a handful, if not a dozen or more, men who came and said that they were the messiah that was promised in the Old Testament. So Saul, as a good Jew, had to stand up against these false messiahs and say, no, he hasn't fulfilled the Scriptures. And if people don't understand that He is not the Messiah, then thousands will be led astray from true faith. See, Saul was an important, in an important position within the Jewish leadership, but, but now, turn back to Acts 22, Saul sees the risen Christ. Acts 22, I fell to the ground, verse 7, and heard the voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am the Jesus of Nazareth that this way is promoting, this Christian way is promoting. The one who looked so weak, I'm alive and I reign. I'm sitting at the right hand of the throne of the Father. So as Saul meets the risen Christ, he recognizes something very important. That Jesus was not a fraud. That Jesus was not dead. But that He was alive. And that He was now overpowering Saul with a great, a bright light and with a loud voice. Saul sees the risen Christ and that changed everything for Saul. There, was, there were plenty of rumors that were going around that Jesus was still alive. Remember, He had appeared to over 500 people after He had been resurrected. But no Jew in his right mind would believe such a thing. But, Paul did, but, but Saul did because he saw Jesus for himself. And if Jesus is alive, then that changes everything. If Jesus is alive, He is the Messiah. Not He could be the Messiah. He is the Messiah. It makes sense of all the Old Testament Scriptures, particularly in Isaiah 53, where we see the Messiah as not as a ruler and a reigner, but as a suffering servant. He was wounded for our transgressions. And He was bruised for our iniquities. I'm sure for Saul, all these Scripture references from the Old Testament started to come together and the pieces of the puzzle started to make more sense. Once we see the risen Savior, it changes everything. You see, if you believe that Jesus died, that's not enough to save you. Because a Savior who dies is no Savior at all. He has to live. He has to reign. And there is only one Savior. One Messiah. One sacrifice that is acceptable before God for your sins and mine. No amount of good works are enough on our part to satisfy God's demands for us, to cover up our sins. No amount of works on our part. And so we need what the Scriptures refer to as an alien righteousness, a righteousness outside of us. We also need an alien payment, a payment that we can't make. If we died for our sins... It wouldn't be sufficient to give us life. 
And that's why those who will die for their sins will be dying eternally. Because we never can satisfy the demand of God against our sin. We need a Messiah. We need a Savior. All the proof that you need is written down for you in God's living Word. It is the way that God speaks to us. You're not going to get a personal visit from the risen Savior like Saul did, are you? You and I have adequate proof, plenty of evidence that Jesus died and that He is now alive. That He lives for those whom He died for. All the proof that we need is here. You may think, well, that's not enough. I need to see the risen Savior. Saul got to see Him. Jesus told of a rich man in Luke 16. 16. He died and went to Hades. And there he was, crying out in torment. And he calls up to Abraham. And he says to him, Please send someone to warn my brothers so that they too will not experience the torment that I am now experiencing. I recognize that I can't be freed from this, but at least send somebody to tell my brothers. Do you remember what Abraham's response was? Your brothers have Moses and the prophets. And if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, what he's talking about is the Old Testament. If they don't listen to what the Scriptures have already clearly laid out for us, then they won't even believe if a person rises from the dead right before their eyes. I'm telling you today that you don't need God to visit you in a visible form. You don't need a miracle to be seen before your eyes in order to accept the living Christ. God has given you everything that you need to believe right here in His written Word. Who is Jesus to you? Was He just a good man who was noble and meek? And he loved people enough to die for them. Is that all that he was? Was he just a great story, but really unnecessary for us today? Irrelevant? Was the Bible's picture of him simply an embellishment? Or is God's Word true? Is Christ real? Is He alive? Is He the compassionate Savior who came to save us from our sins? Is He the coming King? Is He the Messiah whom the Old Testament had promised? who will come one day to reign from sea to sea over all people from one end of the earth to the other. If Jesus is King, if Jesus is alive, that changes everything, doesn't it? If Jesus is King, do you accept Him as King? Will you accept Him as your Master? Are you tempted to hold on to the areas of life? You know, some of them, just hold them back. How committed are you to Jesus as your Master, your King, your Messiah? It starts with a conscious decision on your part to give up your former life and to follow Christ. That was Saul. He was willing to forsake it all for the sake of Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. That's where it starts for each one of us. 
Are you willing to take up your cross, as Jesus says, and follow Him, even if that means suffering and death? Or are you just a casual observer? You know, I'll follow Him as long as He gives me something that I want. As long as there's some sort of tangible benefit for me. When we look to Christ that way, we treat Him as disposable. That we are happy to incorporate Him into our lives only as long as there's good taking place. But when that good goes away, I'm gone. I'll serve another Savior. I'll look for another Messiah. All the other kings of the earth, all the other ones who claim to be Messiahs are frauds. Jesus is the only way. He alone is King. And so you need to let Him be King of your life. If you've trusted in Him as your Savior, then that means that you need to serve Him with all of your life. He calls us to serve Him. That's what a life of following Jesus looks like. He's not going to force you into following Him. He's not going to twist your arm. He didn't make robots. God didn't make robots. He made people with their own ability to choose and He expects us to do so. Is Jesus King of your life? If we recognize Him as the Messiah, it changes everything. It changes the way that we live. It turns into outward obedience to what He has told us to do. Maybe you came here today with a level of skepticism about Jesus like we have for many of these people who who are frauds. But the Scriptures are clear. He is not a fraud. He is the true and living Savior. Have you come to God the Father through Jesus Christ? It's the only way you can. Jesus says, I am the way, the only way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No one comes to the Father, Jesus says, except through Me. Not through some other human mediator. It's not through a priest or some friend of yours or some person who's who's in good standing within the community, a, a moral person. It's through Christ. It's all we have to do is to come to Christ. Maybe you're not ready yet. And you want to take Jesus for a test drive. If I can just try Him out for a little while then I'll make a choice. God's not looking for you to take a test drive. He demands your heart. He demands that you turn and repent of your sins, to turn away from your sins and to turn in faith towards Him. Are you willing to do that? God already owns you because He made you. And Jesus has died for the sake of your sin. And if you will trust in Him, then He will doubly own you. And if you haven't done that, if you haven't turned in saving faith to Christ, I encourage you to do it it tonight. Don't wait. Don't keep putting it off. It's the best thing that you possibly could do with your life. Believer, are you trusting in Jesus for your daily needs? Or do you only trust Him in your salvation? Are you willing to follow Christ farther than the cross or only to the cross? 
lead me out of hell, Jesus. Thank you. I'll take that. But now I'm not following you any farther. Believer, if Jesus is the Messiah, it changes everything. If He's alive, then it changes the way we live, doesn't it? We need to give all of ourselves to Him, our, our whole self to Him. Let's pray. Father, again, we are so grateful for our Savior that He did not remain dead, but that He is the Lord. And the proof of that is that He has been raised from the dead. We celebrate that on Sunday. We celebrate that every Sunday, in fact, because it is at the center of who we are as Christians. We serve a risen Savior, and He's in the world today. We know that He is living no matter what men may say. Lord, we, we trust that Your Word is true because Your Spirit has enlivened us and opened our eyes to understand it. But there may be some in here tonight who don't understand the truth of Your Word or don't accept it as truth. And so we especially pray for them. Just give them the wisdom to, to take the next step. Maybe it's just to find out more. Maybe it is to commit. May you give them the strength and the will to do so. And for us who are believers, we ask for your help to give over our whole lives to you. The fact that Jesus reigns as, as King, as Messiah, means that we owe our lives fully to him. May we not stop at the cross, stop following him, but to continue on and follow him all the way till suffering and death, if that's what it means. Give us hope in the midst of our trials. Help us to take great joy in the cross of Jesus Christ and in His resurrection, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you turn to hymn 183? 183, we'll close our service with this hymn and then prayer.